TRP is a theologically progressive Baptist church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast. What's up, people? We got the Christmas music flowing because it's November. And it's a lamb. And it's also my birthday month, so that, that means we celebrate with a little... Oh, hellos. Everybody send them gifts. Well, I didn't ask November for that. November 27th. And I, I, wouldn't, didn't. I wouldn't ask for that because Pastor Appreciation Month was insane. Y'all did five weeks of celebration. That's not your fault that your birthday is the month after Pastor Appreciation Month. Yeah, but it's like Kate's birthday is a few days after Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Which always makes that difficult. You know, I kind of feel like maybe a two for one. But that's not good. That wouldn't be my approach. No, that shouldn't be anybody's approach. But Unless it's a very large gift. Well, yes. We're, we're a simple people, though. So You are. You are yeah. simple people. Well, what's up, people? It's good to have you with us week four of the podcast. Before we get into Bible nerdiness, I do want to make a couple of trp announcements oh boy yeah first if you haven't visited the website in a while tessa has revamped all of it yeah you're gonna want to visit it there's some good stuff on there yeah we're at particularly the writing section i think is coming along nicely yeah so we've been asking some of our elders to do some writing we've tried to give a better description of who we are and what to expect we had some new people visit not too long ago but before they came they had to send me a message asking where we were and what time we had services because our website didn't say that yeah and that's problematic it's problematic on a on a number of levels Mm -hmm. but they came and and they've been hanging out for a few a few months with us now so that's been that's been good but we got all the pertinent information on the website which is www.restoresby.org so go check that out also it's still freshy fresh so if you see some marky mark freshy fresh yeah yeah doug e fresh is what i would have gone with okay that's okay cool um if you see some wonkiness some not doug e freshness then Send us a message so we can fix it. I yeah, know it, let us know. It's been looking different on my phone than Tessa's phone. Um, laptops are all different, whether you're an Apple person or Windows person, whatever. Just send us send us a message. Also, number two, and this is the big one, actually. Our kids director, Shannon Vaughn, who is awesome, mm-hmm. is transitioning. She's moving to the wild wild metropolis of cambridge it's Maryland. crazy out there i love cambridge though i do too it's up and coming you got rar there mm-hmm. you've got bombay social which you can't get good indian food around here no. and it's it's outstanding Punjab's pretty good though i had one bad experience i know there, and but, you guys haven't been back but since. it wasn't about the food it was just about i didn't know it was the service well it wasn't even the service it was just like there was a i didn't know how to was there a failure my to communicate? Food. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I didn't know like where I needed to be, who I should talk to. They mm. were super slammed that day, so I'm gotcha. I'm willing to give some some grace there. Anyways, um, Shannon is moving to Cambridge, which means she will not be able to continue on as our kids director. So we are drum roll, 
We're looking for a new kids director. Yeah, we are. It's a paid gig. Um, and basically, we're just wanting someone who aligns with who we are and what we're going after and um, would love to hang out with our kids for an hour a week and hopefully more. We'd love to have someone who engages with them, maybe goes to a soccer game on the weekends, stuff yeah. like that, you know, just be a present in people's lives. But, man, if you know someone or if you are someone, go to the website, go to the leadership page and at the bottom you'll see a link that can take you to all of the details there and ways to apply we would love to to hear from you extra credit if you're a 30 something single male okay <laughs> i'm just okay kidding. <laughs> you might have a one built-in volunteer named tessa <laughs> who would love to help you cut out your crafts you know what i mean oh my goodness is that yep okay yeah sure yeah. i'll help cut out the crafts. all right so we're looking for two things. We're looking for a kids director, <laughs> and we're looking for a boyfriend for Tessa. That's right. <laughs> Please one, apply on the website. One, one is a paid gig, and one is not. No, one is very much not paid. No, nope, we're not into that. No, not That's, at all. I mean, we're left-leaning, but... Not like that. No. Nope. Okay. We, we went in a different direction on Sunday. This is going to sound weird. In order to observe... Halloween. Yes, as one does at church. Uh, I, I grew up in a really conservative um, church, so, I mean, I dressed up as John the Baptist one year, so there's something inside me that's like, ooh, celebrating Halloween in church. That's that's not what you should do. And I mentioned this on Sunday as well. I saw a lot of churches coming out of the woodworks on Facebook swinging a bit saying, why would Christians ever let their children I feel like that hasn't up? really been a thing at least I don't know. I don't. I remember. think you're not looking. That might be true. Yeah, I think your your Facebook page is a bit more curated than than others. Perhaps it's out there and it shows up every every year. And you also have like the built in competition between uh, Reformation Day because October 31st is also the day to commemorate Martin Luther nailing his 95 mm. theses mm -hmm. on the wall on the door of. Wittenberg Church. Wittenberg. So it's like, I'm not going to dress up as Buzz Lightyear. I'm going to talk about reformed Or you could theology. dress up as Martin Luther. Yeah. You know, I thought I, I thought for a second about putting on like a, a monk's robe. That would have been entertaining. Yeah, but I didn't have anything. So I just wore that t-shirt with a dog's face on it. Mm-hmm. The and and went as a, as a dog lover, <laughs> <laughs> which you are not. Uh, no, I had to I had to pretend I dressed up as a dog lover, thinking, yeah, of someone who enjoys animals like this would love to wear a t-shirt with a dog's face on it. Sure, yeah. All right, so the lectionary this week, as we have been using the lectionary over the past six, seven, eight weeks, I don't know, and looking at the Gospel of Mark this week, however. I kind of took us in a different direction and wanted to talk about Matthew chapter 27. This is Matthew's version of the crucifixion of Jesus because it's super weird and because it introduces some stereotypical Halloween characters. Mm -hmm. Zombies. Well, that's more like a pirate. Maybe. It's okay. So in Matthew 27, 
we get the the culmination of the crucifixion story and a lot of the language is, is is classic so in verse 45 of matthew 27 it says from noon on darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon and about three o'clock jesus cried with a loud voice eli eli lama sabachthani which is aramaic and it means my god my god why have you forsaken me this is the first line of psalm 22 so jesus reverting back to some familiar known language from the book of psalms in this climactic moment of his life on the cross there's a lot of really deep and beautiful theology there about uh, divine abandonment and the suffering of Jesus, which is really important and uh, meaningful to talk about, but we didn't we didn't go in that direction. The story continues. When some of the bystanders heard this cry, they said, "He's calling out for Elijah." This is something that's baked into the context that at the end, Elijah would reappear, the prophet from eh, the 900s BC. Like so, this guy's been dead for. 900 years or so and uh well excuse me excuse me not dead if you remember the story elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire Mm -hmm. which is how i plan to go uh yes that would be great just make sure that you give your successor your prophetic mantle oh i wouldn't leave without doing that obviously (laughs) so elijah not dead but will return in some way to usher in the end and they're thinking that jesus is calling for elijah to to show up also remember that some people when jesus said who do people think that i am one of the the currents at the time was he's elijah uh that has come back sort of as this agent to to move the the timeline along in the text it says at once one of them ran up and got a sponge filled it with sour wine put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink Again, uh, all sorts of known, familiar symbols that appear in other Gospels, and Matthew is falling in line, even though the details are are different here, or at least they're terse. Like, it doesn't say what happens with the sour wine on a stick uh, in one of the Gospels. He doesn't drink it. It's this sort of lack of detail here the same thing with my god my god why have you forsaken me these are all this is something that's on the lips of jesus in a lot of different gospels then in verse 49 it says but the others said wait referring don't give him the the sour wine wait let us see whether elijah will come and save him and then it sort of leaves this thing jesus cries out again with a loud voice and breathed his last and then in verses 51 through 54 we get some weird stuff happening. The first bit is is known. It's familiar. It's the temple veil or the curtain. It was torn in two. In fact, it says at that moment when Jesus breathes his last, the veil in the temple is ripped from top to bottom. The earth also, it says, shook and rocks were split open. It's the same verb for the rocks splitting and the temple veil tearing. It's the same verb there, so there's a tie. And then it goes into the real weird stuff. It says the tombs also were opened, 
and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, it says. Now, a, a lot of scholars would say this is something that has been put in later because it doesn't really make sense. All right, so let me back up. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. I'm going to read past this editorial edition. And then it says, They came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. So we've got dead people at the moment that Jesus dies coming out of their tombs and deciding, Hey, let's go for a stroll. I mean, you got to stretch your legs after. It's been a while. Yeah. You know, you think the atrophy... And, you know, the lack of muscle? I, I mean, mean you probably know, not have much. I yeah. don't know much about decomposition, but you would think that they would not be in a great place. No, definitely not. So we've got these dead people coming out of their tombs, walking into the city. Now, you can see this is why some people would say that, that Matthew or even a later editor uh, interposed after his resurrection, which kind of makes it even weirder because this is the resurrection of Jesus two days later. Um, and what it's saying is the tombs were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Mm-hmm. So they're just hanging out. Right. Just waiting, you I know, mean, tailgating. They don't know anybody around maybe. So, right. And then, a couple days later on Sunday, I'm saying two days later as well because Jesus dies on a Friday and then raises on the Sunday. We think it's a, a three day, and it, and it is, but just two calendar days. Two calendar days pass within right. those two between those two verses. Right. Yes, which is weird because why would why would the author then bring that and jam that back in if this is something that happened later? But you can see why this is this is strange because. Jesus is supposed to be the first one who is resurrected. Mm-hmm. So having these rogue, dead people strolling about the city. They're waiting for Jesus. Yeah. But see, we don't even know that because uh-huh. Matthew then doesn't go anywhere with this story. He just has all of these symbols that are laden, laden with Old Testament and intertestamental Jewish interpretive significance. Whoa. Yeah, you don't get to say that a lot. No. Uh, The temple curtain ripping Mm -hmm. was something that was thought to, it it would occur. In fact, there's a a, a prophecy, you could say, from a book in the Pseudepigrapha. The Pseudepigrapha, as we know, (laughs) as we know, is some writings in between the Old Testament period and the new testament period and this remember one, we have pseudepigrapha tuesdays yeah right oh yes pseudepigrapha tuesdays actually today. you know what uh, a nerd friend of mine from seminary did used to talk about ancient jewish interpretations uh, from the second temple period which is you know in between uh the rebuilding of the temple and its destruction in 70 a.d mm-hmm. rebuilding would be like 515 ish bc and he would dedicate, this was back when blogs were cool, he would dedicate a certain day to ancient Jewish interpretation. Oh, wow. Because you got to give the people what they want. You're right. And people want Pseudepigrapha Tuesdays. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. Okay, so this book in the Pseudepigrapha is called um, The Testament 
of the patriarchs, I think. And it's taking the idea of Jacob's final blessing to all of his kids in Genesis 49, and it's expanding it for each one. So in the Bible, you know, you get a few verses to, you know, the different kids of to, to Gad and Dan and Reuben and whatever. You get the different um, blessings that Jacob gives to his kids. And then the authors, like we were talking about last week, they expand on that idea and they create larger testaments to each of the kids. And this one comes from the Testament of Levi. Levi being the head of the Old Testament priests, like the priestly line comes from Levi. And it says, And you, the priests, shall act lawlessly in Israel with the result that Jerusalem cannot bear the presence of your wickedness, but the curtain of the temple will be torn so that it will no longer conceal your wicked behavior. Hmm. Right? This is, and this is in the second century BC that people were thinking about the temple veil being ripped in two. Now, when we come to these stories and we hear Jesus dies and the temple curtain is ripped in two, we just think, cool, mm-hmm. neat. Like, he did that. Well, somebody did that, right? I mean, he's dead. So there we're getting into Trinitarian theology. Oh, like, I just imagine that it just happened. Is that not how it happened? <laughs> I mean, you're saying, like, so, so did Jesus? I'm talking were people causes. out splitting the rocks? I'm talking, no, I'm talking causes here because we'll yeah, get into this. That's what I'm saying. Did God do all this? Did Jesus do all this? Was it coincidental Mm -hmm. that all this happened? Let's throw the spirit in there. Did the spirit do this? Mm -hmm. So most people would say when they're reading this that the earthquake is the cause. Uh And when the earth shakes, you know how it would rip like, I mean, earthquakes rip fabric from top to bottom. Yeah. They're just known Known to do that. that. It happens so often. You don't, you know, you don't hear about earthquakes without hearing about curtains being ripped. Mm Mm-mm. Um, but they would say, well, this is why the rocks were splitting because the earth was shaking. And this is why the tombs were becoming open because the earth was shaking. So they kind of go back to this historical sort of thing. And mm-hmm. actually within Palestine, um, earthquakes happened a lot. Hmm. And some people would even say that they can be accompanied by darkness because of the dust that's being kicked up. Mm-hmm. And people that read the Bible historically or literally love that. Uh-huh. You know, like, oh, yeah, this this had to happen because earthquakes happen all the time. Mm-hmm. But what we have here is all these symbols that predate Jesus by centuries. Same thing with the earthquakes. This is typical end of days sort of language. The... Um, prophets in the old testament they would talk about the day of the lord and what would accompany the day of the lord is earthquakes even the ground splitting Uh, for example there's a bit in zechariah 14 which a lot of people think was the uh, i'm going to say a word here the inspiration for matthew to link these stories because in zechariah 14 it talks about earthquakes and it also talks about um, one line here where it says the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle, the nations that wronged uh, Israel and Judah. On that day, 
his feet, the Lord's feet, shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Hmm. Right? So you have these events talked about well before Jesus, well before Matthew's writing. You've got all this symbology baked into the context, temple curtains being ripped, earthquakes happening, darkness taking place. Like this is also part of that day of the Lord um, imagery. Rocks being split open. And also, Tessa, you have this bit about tombs opening that predates New Testament time. So we read Ezekiel 37, I think 1 through 14 is is where the relevant verses are. The Valley of Dry Bones, which again, if Christians think about this at all, they think about it as... Whoa, that's a neat thing. Uh Sort of a standalone. It's not this imagery-laden, symbolic. They they certainly don't think about it for Ezekiel like this is an exile passage, Uh right? The dry bones are the dead Israelites and Judahites who have suffered through exile, and the reconstitution of their bodies is God-ending exile. We kind of think, neat party trick. Right. It's sort of similar to the way people view the miracles of Jesus sometimes. Yes. Not seeing how they impact the larger theology of the story. Right. Jesus doesn't show up just to give people food and to, you know, help people see again or whatever just because he can. It's all part of this theological theme of restoring the world to how it should be. Mm-hmm. And even beyond that, like John takes those miracles of Jesus, the book of John, and attaches all sorts of theological significance. Like when he's feeding the 5,000, for for John, this is like going back to quail and manna in the Old Testament. So the way that they're reading the Bible is very different than how we're reading it. But you have in Ezekiel 37, in this classic prophetic text, verse 12, it says, So now prophesy and say to them, The Lord God proclaims, I'm opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. Imagery, symbol, I will end exile is what God seems to be saying. And why do I say that? Because the idea of resurrection at this time was not fully developed. Mm-hmm. That's a late, late idea uh, that shows up in the book of Daniel, which actually that's a that's an interesting passage too because we have uh, a text in Daniel that talks about how uh, some of the people will be raised, which is exactly what happens here in this in this passage in um, in Matthew. The tombs were opened and many bodies, some of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. This is like taking some Ezekiel imagery. This is taking some Daniel imagery. This is taking some Zechariah imagery. 
and bringing it all to bear, which is exactly what Matthew does throughout his entire book. Like we've talked about this before when Matthew talks about the virgin birth prophecy. This is something that has already happened back in the 8th century uh, region of Syria, I believe, around Damascus, King Rezin. And he wanted a sign, and the sign is that a virgin would give birth to a son, and by the time that kid was old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, the two kings that A has was freaked out about, they would be dead. So this prophecy has already, and that was that was a bad retelling, but that was, that was the gist okay. of it. We okay. got the gist. Yeah, we got the gist. It's, it's already taken place. So when Matthew's writing his gospel, he sees things that no one was really anticipating. Mm-hmm. In other words, he's looking at the Old Testament to inform Jesus for him. He's writing after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he's seen all of this symbology, this this imagery, and he's attaching it to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. That's a conversation that people can have. But I am saying that nobody, not one person in Matthew's time, was waiting for a real-life virgin who hasn't had sex to become pregnant and pop out a kid that would be named Emmanuel mm-hmm. because that had already happened. This, this is the passage that's in Isaiah? Yes. Okay, same one, right? Yes. Okay. So Matthew, when he's rehashing the virgin birth of Jesus, says, such as fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, mm-hmm. which anybody at the time would be like, what are you talking about fulfilled that? Right. Like it's already been fulfilled. It's already happened. I should also throw this in here as well. In Isaiah, it's not predicting a virgin having a baby. Mm -hmm. Because the word there isn't the best one for virgin. It's just young woman. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot miraculous happening in Isaiah chapter 7. It's a young girl of marriageable age who was able to have kids, would have a kid that would be named Emmanuel. And that wasn't really weird either because people named their kids after God all the time. Mm -hmm. And this kid would be like the symbol of uh, Ahaz's victory because when that kid's old enough, then the two kings that he was afraid of would be dead. Neat, right? Matthew, in retelling the story of Jesus throughout, keeps doing this, bringing in Old Testament stuff and uh, allowing it to inform how he's telling the story of Jesus. Now, Tessa, here's the thing. All of this is leading me to say, I don't know about the historicity of the temple veil ripping, Mm -hmm. an earthquake happening, rocks being split open, and I certainly don't know about tombs being opened and dead people hanging out in Jerusalem. Right. Because that is crazy. Yes. Now, here's the thing. And I, I did this in a terrible way because I said, quote, because that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's where people go. They say, oh, you're denying the miraculous. To which I say, no, because I still believe 
that God somehow shows up in a first century homeless Jewish rabbi sure. who dies and that death has something to do with something. Mm-hmm. That's my technical way. That's it my has something to do with something. That's my like fifteen years of higher theological yes. education coming to bear as I say his death has something to do with something. Yes. Because the New Testament authors don't really know how to quantify it. Mm-hmm. They say all sorts well, of how stuff. How can you really? I mean it was a big deal. Yeah. Which is what Matthew's saying here. It was such a big deal, in fact, that the earth was shaking at the death of Jesus. That's awesome. Like the theology of that, the response of the cosmos is to be dark, to shake, and to destroy rocks. Right. That tells us something. Right. And what I think is, well, this is, people don't want to think this way maybe, but I think that the historicity of it isn't really the point. And this is where it gets super messy. Now, wait, let let me back up here and say... um, it's not I'm not saying this didn't happen simply because it's too outlandish. Right. Right? Because the death of Jesus did something, meant something, was significant in some way, and then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does. I but I believe that. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy. Sure. Like dead people don't become alive again. That's not scientific. No. Okay, so this isn't me saying this is too crazy mm-hmm. because the core of my own belief is based on crazy. Uh-huh. Like no, not empirically verifiable craziness. Like imagine meeting someone for the first time who had never heard of a Christian or someone who believed in Jesus or had never heard of Jesus and then you telling them that that this guy died and then came back to life, and that has something to do with... And he's... and well, Wait, this guy who's Jesus, who's God... Yeah. Dies. Right. Rises from the dead, floats off into somewhere. Wherever. Wherever. Yeah, it's like, it's all But insane. also is simultaneously everywhere at the same time today. Absolutely. Yeah, he lives in your heart. Right. And you should ask him there. He's like, what? <laughs> They live in my heart. It's like that bit, the John Mulaney bit, where he's talking about pitching Back to the Future for the first time <laughs> in a in a studio. It's like okay, right? There's a disgraced nuclear physicist mm-hmm. who befriends a high schooler. <laughs> like it's, already, already it's <laughs> sounds like, like a bad idea. Tell me more. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's think about this. Okay, and he sends. The kid back in time where he falls in love with his mother. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yo. It is a crazy. It's a family movie. Really entertaining. However. Oh, I love it. It's great, but it's very. Very strange. Yeah. Like just pitching that to somebody is 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 crazy town. And it's the same with the story of of Jesus. And when you start throwing in other Old Testament stuff, like if you just start from the very beginning. Okay. There was this guy and this girl. And they were in a mythical, magical garden with fruit that they couldn't eat. And, and then a talking, a talking snake. snake. It's like, what are you doing? Side note, the Ricky Gervais bit about Eden is hilarious. I'll have to look that up yeah, later. Look that up. It's good. He specifically, when God curses the serpent at the end, like, you can't, you can't, uh, or you have to crawl around on your stomach. Mm-hmm. He's like, ooh. 
Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> like that's what snakes do. Uh, okay, now, you know, yeah, this is bad when people try to redo stand-up comedy. So I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. But anyway, um, this, this, me saying this probably didn't happen historically is not because it's crazy. It's because this, this retelling is begging readers to see this in light of Old Testament symbols and imagery and Matthew seems to be bringing all of that to bear here for his readers. N.T. Wright in fact says this account presents all kinds of puzzles not least at the level of what Matthew actually thinks is going on and what he thinks it all means. So even N.T. Wright who's who's fairly conservative would say there's a lot of, of stuff happening here that's difficult to wrap our brains around. Mm-hmm. N.T. Wright also goes on to say, like, I guess I believe, I'm, I'm summing up here for him, I guess I believe it was a real thing, but it only shows up in this one gospel. Right. Nobody really does anything with it. Matthew never circles back and talks about the dead people and what happens to them. Like, what a sitcom. You know, like, <laughs> a, one of the dead people, like, just shows up and starts reliving their life. Yeah. With their old wife or or, or goes back to the house. I'm I'm pitching a show right now. Yeah. Goes back to the house and it's like mm-hmm. What? You've remarried. <laughs> you know, Great and it's accent. just like yeah. yeah, and just hijinks ensue mm-hmm. where Zombie Corpse tries to win his wife back. Which plot twist, you can't do in Jewish culture because if your wife gets remarried, you cannot remarry your first person. Well, I don't think we were assuming that this sitcom was taking place in the first century. Oh, well. Was it? I don't know. In my mind, maybe, but. Oh, I I took it modern in my brain. Okay. Yeah, that's good. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop that later. Okay, great. <laughs> Sounds good. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, N.T. Wright okay, didn't yes. necessarily think that it actually. Thank you. Thank yep. you for bringing it back. He's, he's conservative, so he says, yeah, it probably happened, but this is one of those things that just shows up. So anytime you're basing an entire historical retelling on one text, you're not really standing on too firm of a foundation. And also, like I said, Matthew never circles back to talk about what happens to these people. Are we supposed to envision them living out another life? Do they end up going back into the tomb at some point? I mean, like... They would certainly die, but do they get like a reboot life part two? Do you it's, think they went back into the tomb? See, th- that seems weird to me. Like they show up for a bit, like all right, heading back, heading back. Gotta now. go take a nap. I don't know. A very long. The whole nap. thing, the whole thing is is strange. But I would say not the point to be pushing a historical right agenda. But people struggle with this. I think the point is that it's in there for a reason. Yep. And that it means something, but does not necessarily mean that it actually happened the way that it says. But you understand how radical of a statement that is. Yeah. And how if you posted that on Facebook that, you know, your rogue family member who's more conservative than you would say, what the heck has happened to Tessa? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have a problem with saying that it might have happened. But I just don't think that that's the point. I know. So I was, I was really trying to talk about this on Sunday night, 
and I, it felt like the people just weren't going there mm-hmm. with me. And I think part of that with some conversations that happened afterward is just the difficulty surrounding how do you decide what to keep and what to label as figurative. Do you have to decide? Well, maybe the better question is, am I forcing people to decide by oh. bringing this stuff up all the freaking time? Um, I'm tempted to say no. I, w- I hope so, because that's not the point. I, I feel like what you're saying is that there's more room in the passage for stuff to have happened or maybe it's in there for a different reason. Yes, and you're you're correct that even if this stuff happened historically, if we read that and say, "Oh, neat." That's not the point. That's not the point and we miss so much stuff. The Temple Veil ripping in two, for example. Uh people usually get real theological about that. Mm-hmm. Now, there's at least two different veils in the temple that could have ripped and scholars like to debate which one is actually ripping there's one like on the outer side of the temple that's separating the this is hard they're gonna be hard to do um just talking um but think think about it in terms of like there's a a veil that would function as your home's front door Mm -hmm. letting people into that home Yes. which is called the holy place. Mm-hmm. And then there's a veil uh, into your, I can't, There. however I do this is going to be heinous, whether your bedroom becomes the there's holy a, of holies oh or the bathroom. Like There's a room, there's a building that's divided into three sections. Yeah. There's a veil, a curtain yep. in between the first and second section. Yep. And that goes into the holy place. Yep. Then there's a second curtain dividing and into that is the holy of holies yes i was going backwards but yes that's that's a good way of of thinking about it so in the innermost parts of the temple is the holy of holies only the high priests show up in there only once a year and there's a veil that if ripped people would say ah this is saying something about the sacrificial system uh, because priests would go in there on the day of atonement and Jesus's death does away with the sacrificial system. There's another veil out that's kind of functioning more as the, the front door, I guess. And people would say if that one rips, then it's more of a commentary on the destruction of the temple as a whole, which is what Jesus talked about throughout his ministry, right? He talks about there's going to be a time when not one stone of the temple is going to stand on the other stone. It's mm-hmm. going to be completely decimated, which actually happens in 70 AD. So there's a lot going on there, and we like to hypothesize and theologize what the ripping of the veil means, whether it's Jesus does away with the sacrificial system or the temple is going to be destroyed. We have no problem imposing some higher-level theological thinking on top of this ripping of a temple curtain Mm -hmm. but we don't do that with the earthquake and the rocks and the dead people in fact i don't think most people even know that this verse is in the bible no about zombie zombie people showing up and walking about the city Uh, in fact one person said to me after service like i've been going to church for a long long time and i don't think i've ever 
heard this people passage. People just skip over it or read a different people, gospel. People don't. I'm going to say something that might be mildly controversial. People okay. don't read the Bible. Uh-huh. I don't think that's that controversial. Right. They expect, you know, the podcast they listen to or their pastor, like they do their Bible reading at church. Mm-hmm. And here's a here's a controversial statement. Churches don't read the Bible. Yeah. I mean, unless you're going to a, a high church, you know, liturgical where you have certain readings of the text, which we've tried to be really intentional about because we know that churches don't read the Bible. You know, in, in a typical, uh, I hope this isn't, um, you know, bad, but in a typical evangelical type service, you've got the songs that are that move people, and then you've got a sermon that's maybe it's got a, a verse that becomes the springboard for the the application mm-hmm. that was sort of driving the bus in the first place. Like, oh, I want right. to talk about marriages and how it's important Let to communicate. Let me find verses. Yeah, so you go to support. You this. go to your you know your your Bible dictionary and you figure out your concordance and you figure out mm-hmm. a word that you like and then you find a, a text that can prop up your already established established point. Yeah. So if you are hearing the Bible, you're usually hearing it out of context and you're hearing it a, a verse at a time, a couple verses at a time. It almost functions like a fortune cookie or a proverb, mm-hmm. which if you're reading Proverbs, that's cool. But if you're reading anything not Proverbs, probably less cool because then you're not doing this. And there's not, Tessa, a predetermined point about zombies that people are like, ah, if I just had a passage about zombies that I could read. Ah, right. here it is. <laughs> I really want to talk about The Walking Dead this Sunday. <laughs> Although you know it and I know it that churches have absolutely used The Walking Dead oh, 100%. as a terrible church Analogy sermon series. Or something, yeah. yeah. We're going to do a five-week series on movies and how God is the true Avenger. <laughs> you know, uh, like that kind of stuff. I feel like that has literally happened in uh, this town. Yep. Yeah. Yep, I did. I mean, we didn't have to get that specific. It happens in every town. Every yeah, town USA. that happens in every town ever. Yes. So we're comfortable attaching a theological point to the, the temple curtain, but the rest of it, it just, it, it feels too weird for us to, to do any, any sort of work with it. But I, I do, I sympathize with people that feel... Like me saying this didn't happen historically is an attack on their faith Mm -hmm. because for most people, it's an all or nothing. Right. And, you know, this this is demonstrated when we talk about Jonah and the big fish. Mm -hmm. And I say, no chance whatsoever is this story meant to be read as a historical reporting of fact. Do people read Psalms that way? You mean like as as no, see this is this is this is the weird part of it. People pick and choose which stuff they're reading. Yes, I know I will go on record and say that Jonah is different than something as overt as the poetry of yeah. Psalms because it seems to veil itself as a historical narrative. Mhm. But it is not. Mm-hmm. Like if you read it just for what it is, it seems to be functioning as satire. And for satire to work, it has to look like something that happened. Uh-huh. But there's so much screaming at you on every 
at every point of this story, and it's not just the fact that, oh, uh, this guy gets swallowed by a fish and lives in its stomach for three days. This is not me saying that can't happen scientifically, therefore this story is not historical. Right. That's not it. It's everything from the fact that the king has no name to the fact that the animals are repenting Mm -hmm. and wearing sackcloth and ash and fasting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, my dog fasts when we don't feed him, right? He doesn't observe. (laughs) And that's about it. Yeah, he doesn't observe religious rights. Not that we know of. No, I I mean, I don't know about his spirituality. I, I mean, Porter needs to get saved, I would assume, but. Oh, boy. That's a different con- conversation for a different day. Yes. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, so it's the story itself that's saying, read me figuratively. Yes. But people then go on to say, oh, well, if this didn't happen, Jonah, mm-hmm. this thing, it, Jonah's a tough one to, to date as far as written, but, you know, I don't know, 8th century-ish, BC, like somewhere in this way, way long ago time. Mm-hmm. They say if that didn't really happen, then how do we know Jesus happened? Which makes me so frustrated. Mm-hmm. Why do we do that? I don't I feel like it might be something that's ingrained in us. In certain yeah, parts and, and, of faith growing up. Yes, because the way that we talk about the Bible is uniform. Mm-hmm. The Bible is inerrant Mm -hmm. the bible is inspired the bible is infallible authoritative we have these words that 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 describe the entire thing whatever's in between your two leather covers it is this Mm -hmm. which then forces us to read it in a certain way so when you meet somebody who comes along and says yeah i'm not so sure about those zombies that they can hear that as an attack on the entire book, which is super frustrating because if you're really respecting the text, each story should be read on its own terms. Right. And even here, like this Jesus story, I firmly believe that Jesus really died. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that he really rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. But I also firmly believe that the gospel authors shaped that story in a way that would have made good sense with their audience. Mm -hmm. So for them to talk about the temple and uh, earthquakes and rocks and tombs, this is sending off bells like, ah, Ezekiel 37, ah, Zechariah 14, ah. You know, you got all this testament of Levi maybe come into play. You got all this stuff that's baked into their context that's no longer baked into our context and we miss the significance of why they're telling the story in this way. Right. What do we do with that? I'm talking to Tessa, who doesn't have a PhD in Old Testament studies. Or in anything, for that matter. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? Like, how does a normal person deal with that? What, I, what I'm saying is, like, Reading the Bible can be difficult because it's expecting a certain level of familiarity with stuff that we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. If we don't talk about the Bible, we certainly don't talk about the Testament of Levi. No. So how then 
Can normal people make sense of this? That seems like an unanswerable question. (laughs) (laughs) How do you make sense of this? By spending time with people who know about it. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Man, I I mean, it does seem like there are certain things that you don't get unless you have the context. And not people in all churches don't necessarily care about the context all the time. So I saw this. um, My friend sent me this little meme type thing. But it was it wasn't a meme. I guess it was just a legit graphic from a certain conservative pastor's church. Very well known conservative pastor. He's mm-hmm. pretty old. He's in Southern California. Connect some dots. Uh, it's not Rick Warren. Okay, um, and it said, "You don't become a liberal by reading the Bible. You have to go to school for that." Right? So so I think I'm getting that right. So they're saying the more educated you are? Yeah. The more liberal you then become because so schools... So people should just read the Bible and not have... Yeah. That seems to be the the thought of this graphic. If it's just you on a desert island reading your Bible, you won't become liberal. You have to go to school to become liberal. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of baked in there. It's like... You on a desert island reading the Bible, you're not going to know about Second Temple Jewish interpretive practices. Right. Other than the stuff that's in the text. Like Paul does this all the time. Mm -hmm. He is dependent upon Second Temple interpretive practices. Jesus, in the records that we have of him, is dependent upon, like it's, it's in the context, but left to your own devices... You wouldn't figure that out. Okay. And he says that's a bad thing. He's saying it's a bad thing that left to your own devices you wouldn't figure that out. It's he's flip, saying flip, it's a bad flip thing that, that flip that. Yeah, I, I did the I did the backwards way. He's saying it's a bad thing if somebody would tell you because that will lead you on the road to liberalism. Because then you would say things like Jonah wasn't really swallowed by a fish because the story is best read as a satire. Or you'd say there weren't really zombies because this is something that is looking back to an ancient Old Testament uh, intertestamental context. So better just to read the Bible and take it for what it is on your own. Well, that seems silly. All right, we just solved it. Uh, so <laughs> it so it's just silly. It seems like it it hits me as being weird because he's basically saying that like he would want to control the amount of information that his people were uh, had had available to them. And he does. Dude wrote a study Bible. Like he has notes in the Bible. So, oh. I mean there there's a lot of there's a lot of control that's happening here. Uh-huh. And that seems to be driving the bus sometimes with people's conclusions. Like, we can't go in this direction because that goes away from the narrative that we hold. And that's the dangerous stuff. When people are so concerned with their own narratives, they're trying to make the Bible fit what they already see it to be. It's just like those sermons, right? You uh-huh. have you have the predetermined application right. and you find the passage that fits it. I will say that most people that I know are more, uh, they're, they're very well-meaning. Yeah. You know, it's because they don't, 
they haven't been to, to seminary, and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying, everyone should go to seminary. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Although you do try to convince people to go I mean, if you're called occasion. to ministry, yeah, if you, if you want to be a pastor, you should get some schooling. Yeah, that's true. That's go, true. Go, go listen to somebody who's not you tell you some stuff that you don't know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's important. But, you know, I think for some of those folks, they might not realize the power structures within their religious environments that are controlling the narrative mm-hmm. and teaching them how to read and what to read and what to take away from the Bible so that you can't get to a place of questioning whether or not zombies are historical things in Matthew's gospel. Because mm-hmm. God forbid you should question things. Yeah. I don't, and, th- and I think this might have been some of the frustration with, with the talk on Sunday is like, I just don't know where this lands. Does it have to land? I mean, as a pastor, I you feel, feel like it has obligated to. to give people a, hey, here you go. Take this away for your week so that you can be inspired and encouraged. I mean, I think the point of the passage is that this was an important event in history. Yes. Agreed. And the... Whether they happened or they're symbols, they're in there for a reason. Yes, agree. And they have certain significance attached to them. Yes, agree. (laughs) And we can walk away from the story knowing that it's something that we should pay attention to and that, why are you laughing? Just because I'm, whatever you're getting ready to say, I'm going to say yes, agree. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, that's what it is i mean if if someone to the stature of the good bishop nt wright would say i got no idea mm-hmm. who are we you know what i mean yeah if it's good enough for him to say this account presents all kinds of puzzles yes not least at the level of what matthew actually thinks is going on like he's saying it's hard to tell what matthew thinks is happening right is it history is it symbol is it whatever yeah, so and so for us to say it can't be X, it has to be Y, is insane. Uh-huh. It can be either, and the fact that it's in there at all points to the significance of it and the power that this event had. Yes, and it, this goes back to me saying Jesus' death does something. Mm-hmm. And how do we talk about that? Is Man, it's really it's difficult. Because we're so far removed, it's not just you're a sinner and Jesus died for your sins. There's so much more to it than that. Mm -hmm. That when we reduce it, we miss so much. But what Matthew is, is, again, begging readers to see, this is a climactic moment Mm -hmm. in our story. And when the very foundations of the earth are shaking because of the death of this one homeless jewish rabbi yeah we need to pay attention yes and when dead people are being raised we should pay attention Mm -hmm. and i'll go on record and say i don't really think there were dead people walking around jerusalem but that doesn't lessen the power of the story and its significance to even say 
Jesus' death and resurrection has brought transformation in my life. Right. In your life. Yeah. In the lives of many people around. So you see that, that you know, resurrection. Yeah. And I think even for someone who needs these things to have happened historically, you can... I think the point is don't miss out on the... Um, symbolic meaning of them as well yeah let's say let's say theological meaning okay sure i think that that tracks better with people yeah because if you just land on this happened well who cares right so what right what's the what's the theology what's it teaching us about god Mm -hmm. humanity the world you know what what's the lesson there Mm -hmm. and that's sometimes hard for 21st century americans to bring back to an ancient text where we don't understand what's going on anyways right we don't understand temple we don't understand sacrifice. No. We don't understand high priests. We don't understand the day of the Lord and the many different images surrounding it. Mm-hmm. We don't know the Old Testament like they do. So that when they drop in a phrase that would have sent off bells and whistles to everybody else in their moment, we don't get that. Right. So, yeah, sometimes I feel that pressure of, well, it's got to land somewhere. I think the reason why I bring this up incessantly is because I want people to care about the Bible. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about how much we do, but I'm not sure that we do. And I don't want us to casually write it off by saying, you know, for folks on the left, they say, see, this is insane. Mm-hmm. Talking snakes, crazy miracles, dead people coming out of tombs, to which I would say, wait, this is not even what they're trying to say. Right. It's deeper. It's theological. It is doing something and not demanding that it be read as history. Mm-hmm. And people on the far right that are like, neat, these things happened. Right. Pushing them to say, there's more to it. Yes. You know, even just by saying to understand, you know, what this means, you have to then also understand Old Testament, pseudepigrapha, Second Temple interpretation, what Jewish... Uh, thinkers thought mm-hmm. at that time which goes beyond neat that happened right to who cares what's it mean yes so you can move both of these audiences that just seems like a weird um sunday sermon sometimes when you know that the people in the seats are dealing with sickness death depression financial insecurity like all of that stuff but I don't know if the way to address that is always, here's a proverb. No. Pat on the back, go on your way. That's the kind of stuff to me that's always met in community. Mm-hmm. Right? In relationship. Yeah. It's not the sermons. It's the texts from the people who care. It's the presence of the people in their lives who show up. Right? More so than a Sunday sermon. Right. We've yeah. put we've put so much and I think I've I've done this too, but we put so much weight on Sunday mm-hmm. to address all of the problems that people have. That's not what it's for. No. If that was the case, like we should just show up and take communion and, and hug each other and leave. And leave. Yep. Or better, go next door and grab a beer and eat a sandwich. Yeah. And just talk to one another. Yeah. All right, so church next week we'll just be at the uh, we'll be at Specific Gravity pounding some pints and uh, eating pizza. Sounds good to me.
which is kind of like communion. It is. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, we've we've turned church into weird stuff, but yep, so landing spots, I don't have one. Um I would encourage people to move away from all or nothing thinking. Yes. And to treat each story, each text on its own merits, seeing it as an ancient as as an ancient writing that's tapping into a culture that we don't know. And despite what you've heard, you're not going to get it when you wake up at 5 o'clock and go into your prayer closet. No. You're not going to get the the background, the Second Temple interpretation. What you will get is a potentially beautiful time of communion and being reminded that God is present within you mm-hmm. at all times. That is the good stuff of the prayer closet. Yes. Not the... Now I can be a Bible scholar who doesn't need to go to seminary. Right. That's a problem. Yes, it is. All right. So zombies. They're out there. Well, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> never have been. <laughs> never will be. Um, well, okay. We're, no, I don't. I just want to leave that one there. All right, then. Yeah. Excellent. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.